So Peter ends this beautiful letter. We've been studying it all summer, and it's really the letter of 1 Peter written by the Apostle Peter to all these believers living all throughout the regions around the Mediterranean prior to the great persecution that would break out within a year or two, Nero's persecution of Christians, that would last several centuries. But they received a lot of other kinds of persecution and suffering by social alienation because of their faith. Living in foreign lands with a foreign faith, it was difficult. It's a lot like walking onto a high school campus with faith, isn't it? Do you remember that? Or a college campus? Remember back in those days? I mean, it's challenging. And Peter says this to the believers. Suffer well. Survive the suffering well. Survive well. You can do this. You can get through this. And ends this beautiful letter with these words. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Cast your anxiety upon him. And be careful, there's an adversary right on your tail. Be careful. Be sober. Be alert. And I think what this does is it frames the three battlegrounds that we all face as believers. There is a battle raging in the Christian life between humility and pride. There's a battle over anxiety and what we do with our anxiety and our worry. The New Testament is clear about that. And there's also a battle, a great battle in the heavenlies, but also in our realm between God's powerful supernatural force in your life and an, another force, another supernatural force that we believe in that's the adversary, the evil one, the devil, that wants to counter the work of God in your life. And the question is, how do we survive well? I mean, you have to ask that question, and maybe you've really worked on humility, you've worked on anxiety, and you've worked at this temptation or this, this constant barrage from an evil one, and you feel like, man, every time I come up against that, I become prideful, I worry, or I give in. And you feel like, why should I work harder? Why am I failing? Is, is, am I not working hard enough? Do I not know what to do? And I think Peter gives us these clues right here in this passage. He outlines them clearly in terms of the battlefields and says, here's how to win successfully. Our whole series is called Victory. Here's how to have victory in the three battlefields of your life. Here they are. And so we begin in chapter 5, verse 6, therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you at the proper time. Not now, maybe not now, maybe not in this life, but at some point in a future, probably in the next life, you will be exalted. But in this life, humble yourself, Peter says. That's what we're to do. In fact, if you go back to verse 5, look at verse 5, because in verse 5, he gets a running start with this idea. And in verse 5, he says, clothe yourselves with humility. You, you, you're supposed to put humility on like, a, like, a, like, a, like an outer cloak of some sort, like a, like a jacket or a sweater or a shawl. You're to cover yourselves with humility, it says. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. There's benefit in humility, Peter says. Therefore, humble yourself. I mean, he puts it out there. Be humble. I mean, that's our job. I mean, that's what we have to do. But the question is, how in the world do we win over this battle? Humility is the greatest weapon we have over what I would consider to be the greatest sin we face. Pride. See, if we're going to talk about humility, we've got to talk about pride. 
Because pride is the great arch enemy of humility in our lives. And we know it. We know what pride is. We've seen it. We know exactly what it is. C.S. Lewis defined it as a great cancer that grows within us, he says. He also says it's, it's the very possibility. It, it, it eats away at the very possibility of love and contentment and even common sense. Pride works its way into your life. You no longer make any sense. You're no longer loving. I mean, think about it. That's what pride does to us in our relationships. And we're not content. I mean, we sit there with this level of discontentment because we never get what we really want. That's what pride does. Lewis calls it, he says this, it's the essential vice. He calls it the utmost evil. Now, when I read that in college, those words, I thought, seriously? I mean, really? And then Lewis goes on to say, the utmost evil is pride, unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, all that are mere flea bites in compassion. I mean, I love the way he describes that. Really? I mean, seriously, pride is that dangerous? I thought all those other things were more dangerous. I mean, they have, they have a, lo- a lot of repercussions in her life. But pride, really? I mean, Lewis sees it in such a way that pride is how the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It's the complete anti-God state of mind. See, when we began our journey in faith, we had to overcome pride. Because pride was the very thing that was keeping us from relationship with God. Even the nicest, most caring, giving people in the world today that deny God in their life live with great pride. They don't even know it. It doesn't necessarily look like pride, but it's an anti-God state that says, I know better. It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter three. It's It's the picture of the garden when the serpent came to Eve. And Eve had in her mind what it looked like to be in a relationship with God, how that all would work out to have all of God's creation to be the, the, the gardener of creation. It was a beautiful picture of Adam and Eve in a garden tending to creation. It's a beautiful picture of our role in the world of being the gardener. And, and yet God had some stipulations. Be careful, don't eat of this fruit. And the serpent comes in and says, surely God didn't mean to hold that from you. See, that's where it all begins, doesn't it? It begins with the concept that God is holding something back that you want and he doesn't want you to have it and you're going to miss out and it's not going to be good. Right? Isn't that where it starts? And so you question that and Eve gets confused in the conversation and ends up giving in. It starts with pride. Questioning God's intention, his wisdom, and his ways in your life. That's how it begins. That's what pride is. And yet, let me go a little step further. Let me talk a little bit deeper about pride. Let me get a little bit closer before we move on to humility. See, we got to understand pride before we understand humility. Pride is actually saying, I know better. And really, I don't have anything to learn from anybody else or from God. And we all know what that feels like, right? We've all been in a place like that. I'm going to tell you a story in a second. But what's humility? 
Here's humility. Humility is not thinking more or less of yourself. Now listen up. It's thinking of yourself less. Does that make sense? I mean, when you really put that to test, it's not so much, well, I got to lower myself or I got to raise myself up. That's all focus on self. All you're trying to do is evaluate yourself and talking about yourself and thinking about yourself and where yourself is in relationship with yourself. But when you stop thinking about yourself, you become humble because what are you thinking about? You're thinking about other people. I mean, it's the picture of Jesus in John chapter 13. And I love this picture because in John chapter 13, Jesus knew two things about himself. Number one, he knew where he was going and he knew what he was supposed to do. Humility happens when we know where we're going and what we're supposed to do. It says in John 13, knowing that he was going to be with the Father. See, his security was set. He knew he was going to be with the Father. He knew where he was going. He knew at the proper time he was going to be lifted up. Exalted means to be lifted up. But in humility, we sense we're to go low. And so what does Jesus do? In his understanding of being lifted up, he goes low by getting on his knees, taking up the towel and the, wa and the wash basin and begins washing the disciples' feet, serving them. And so it's the, it's the juxtaposition between, thank you, between this idea that I will one day be exalted, but I am to be low. Because I'm dependent on the Lord, I'm humble, I recognize I'm prone to sin, I need God, but yet God thinks highly of me. And when I know that God thinks highly of me, and I know my dependence on the Lord and what I'm called to do, I live with that tension, and I become a humble person by thinking less of myself and more of other people. That's humility. So let me give you an example. So this last week we had a great church consultant, Carl Martin from Scotland, a friend. He's preached in our church several years ago, and we invited him into our church. We invited him into several meetings with our staff and with some key leaders. We've had a couple, we had a couple dinners this last week. We had a full week with Carl Martin in our midst, weighing in on our church and our staff and our structure and our vision and where we're going and our future and and it was a, it was, a, it was really a, a, it was a fantastic week. It was exhausting. It was hard work. We learned a lot. We grew. So we're at an event last night, and we're with someone that was actually part of one of those group meetings, and and uh, and they leaned over to Denise and myself and said that must have been really tough to allow someone else to come into the church to speak into what's happening here. And you know, I hadn't really thought about it. And then I remembered, the first time I met him, I was so threatened. I remember the feeling of, feel, what right does he have to come in here and tell us what to do? You know, they're just like, this is, I know what to do. We know what to do. I mean, James knows what to do. Bill, Matt, we know, we know what we're doing. We're working together. We don't need him coming in and drawing all these diagrams. And I remember a few years ago, I was really opposed to this. And I kind of was shut off from any outside influence. When he came in this week, I was, I was so open, writing notes, about 10 pages of notes, great conversation. I had opened myself up. I didn't even realize it until that comment was made that, oh, yes, we did. We invited someone we trusted 
to pour into us to help us shape the future of this church. And I feel so much richer and blessed as a result. I feel more energized, more encouraged. I feel like more focused. I'm ready to go. And I would have not been in that place if I had closed myself off because of pride. But there's a second thing. It's a second battle and it's anxiety. You notice, you see it right there in that next verse. Casting your anxiety upon the Lord. If we're to clothe ourselves with humility, we're to cast off what? Anxiety. To cast off, throw it off. We put on the robe of humility, but we are to take off the anxiety, the worry that we carry around. You see that? And the word actually means to throw off as in Luke chapter 19, verse 35, when Jesus was about to get on the cold and the donkey to ride into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. You remember what the disciples did right before he rode in? They cast off their robes, threw them over the donkey and the colt to make saddles so that he could ride in. Right? So they took it off. We're to take off anxiety. The problem is what we do is we take on anxiety. We take on worry. And that's what we do with worry. Anxiety has become an American epidemic. 30 million people suffer from anxiety, worry, panic attacks, and all sorts of things, and suffer the, the consequence of that in their bodies. About 18% of Americans. But it's treatable. It's treatable according to statistics. But only 39% of people actually go get help. So a lot of people are living with anxiety they don't need to be living with. And that's true for us as well. And so what Peter is saying, cast it off. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, all the way to verse 34, that passage of scripture that Jesus talks about not to worry. I mean, notice the birds of the air. Notice how the lilies unfold and everything, everything works in creation, basically, Jesus is saying. He's drawing us a picture of creation, and he says, notice how it all works. Everything Birds know how to make nests. They gather their food. All the flowers know what to do. Everything just kind of is fruitful. Why? Because they're not worried. They're not afraid. They're stepping into a confidence, knowing what they, who they are, who their creator is, and they just flourish. One writer says that worry makes us unfruitful and points to that passage. Fruitfulness. We're the only component of creation. We're the only creatures that become unfruitful because of anxiety and worry. And then I ran across Psalm 55, 22, unload your burden. Unload, your, unload the burden that you're carrying that you're not supposed to be carrying because God doesn't want you to carry it. He told you not to, you don't need to carry it. You can cast that off. Unload that burden that you're carrying and he will support you. He will. But you got to test him in it. So August was supposed to be a really good month for me. I'm like George in Seinfeld. It was supposed to be the summer of George. You remember that? The summer of George. And then the next thing, he's like got tubes coming out of his 
head and he's in the hospital bed going, what happened to the summer of George? And I felt like I'm turning a corner. A lot of things have happened in the last several years. Some heart issues a couple years ago, diverticulitis that led to surgery, two kids getting married, buried both my parents. And then I got back from a trip in May and irritable bowel and new diet and learning how to kind of manage all that. And then some anxiety issues that I've been dealing with. I got lost in the forest several years ago and it freaked me out. I didn't know how to get back to camp and it just snowballed in my life and it would just keep kind of peering on the perimeter of my life and and I'd be overseas or I'd be swimming. I remember swimming peer to peer last year. I've swam in eight years in a row. And all of a sudden, I'm in the middle of a thousand people beginning this race and I'm freaked out. And I'm panicking. I don't know what's wrong. I'm frightened. And I stop. I literally stop swimming. And I, and, I, and I sat there for over a minute battling. Do I turn around and go back and say, I'm done. This is no good. I can't do it. No, no good. I'm not going forward. I got calm, kept swimming, thought I saw somebody I knew, focused on that, got around the first pier and began to swim and push through it. And yet it just keeps coming back. And it's, it's not like it's over. So back to August. So I've been through all these things. I'm like, August is going to be good. I'm going to feel good. And some blood work came back in the early August. And it's like, oh, no. I'm right back where I started. You've got to be kidding me. And so I had to live the month of August waiting for a second blood test at the end of August to find out what's going on. A whole other thing. Like, you've got to be kidding me. Just... What is wrong with me? Do I have a target on my back? I mean, you know what I'm talking about. And then I have to live the month of August not knowing the result and wondering, do I push through and enjoy the month and enjoy my daughter's first birth and all the wonderful things that happen as family gets together and some time to read and enjoy the sun and or do I sit there and let Anxiety eat me alive, worrying. And it was a daily battle. Believe me, it was not easy. And I recognized, okay, Lord, I know what's going on here. I'm going to have to push through August without knowing the end result. And I need to choose joy. And so scripture started flooding in, and I began typing out scripture. I got an old typewriter. And it's a really cool old typewriter. And so I, I just took these little note cards and started typing these verses out. And I've got this stack of verses and I've got them in my Bible and all my books. And I keep Yahweh before me always for him at my right hand, nothing, nothing can shake me. So my heart exults, my very soul rejoices. My body too will rest securely. I'm thinking my body is going to rest securely if I trust the Lord. For you will not abandon my soul to shield, nor allow the one you love to see the pit. You will reveal the path of life to me. Give me unbounded joy in your presence and at your right hand everlasting pleasures. It's there. 
But I'll tell you what, there's an adversary saying, I'm going to take that right away from you and I'm going to leave you with anxiety and worry and panic. No, not going to happen, Lord. And then I just got this amazing, amazing verse, Psalm 66, verse 12, in the Jerusalem Bible. The net will be thrown on, your opponent will step on your head, and you will go through the fire and the water, and yet in a little bit of time, all of it will be over. And I saw that verse, and I saw that word over, and I wrote in my margin of my Bible, August 2018, I'm standing on that, Lord, and I'm pushing forward. And I didn't know. And I, I worked through the month not knowing. Monday's the appointment. Blood work this last week. They called to make sure that I knew when the appointment was. I asked if the blood work had come in. I didn't want to wait till Monday. I actually asked the Lord. I said, Lord, could I get the results of that just a little bit early? I'm just done worrying. I'm done trusting you. I kind of want to move on. This is just too hard. And uh, she said, yeah, they're in. But you got to call the office. I called the office. And we're heading in the right direction. The blood work came back. And it shows we're moving in the right direction. And it's just, it's just, when we worry, we worry about something that hasn't happened. So we're, we're, losing, we're losing time here. We're losing joy. We're losing what God has for us. And that's what I'm learning. And then there's a great adversary. It's the third battlefield. And it's the, um, it's, it's the battle over the adversary. It says that the, that the adversary, he's a devil, Diablos. He's a slanderer. He's, a slander. he's out to slander you. You know, his, his number one job is to do is to roam the earth like a lion, seeking someone to devour. Those are real words. Peter meant to say that, literally meant he wants to tear you up. Devour means to swallow you whole. He wants to take you and chomp you down. He wants to stomp your life out. And in stomping your life out, like in Job, it says Satan was roaming the earth. Do you remember that in Job 1-7? Do you know why he was roaming the earth? Because he's a lion. Because he's a lion, he's looking for someone to devour. And he goes, what about Job? I want to devour Job. I want to eat him alive. I want him dead. And God says, don't touch his life. You cannot kill him. That's what Job, that's what God had to say to Satan, the lion. So looking back at this passage, we understand the reality. It's like being a high school or walking onto a, college, a high school campus recognizing your adversary wants to eat you for lunch because of your faith. And what he wants to do in the life of a high schooler and that of a college student or a young person in business or in the workplace is for them to step into that environment and to say, it's not worth living the Christian life in this environment. I'm going to get eaten alive. So, it's to discredit your testimony. That's what the passage is about. Discrediting your faith. That's why it says stand firm in your faith. That's why Peter says stand firm in your faith. Resist him. And so I wrote two things down. First of all, in terms of resisting, you've got to be dependent on the Lord. See, Psalm 91 says, you will tread on a lion. I love that. You're going to tread on him. He's not going to tread on you. You're going to tread on him. If you make the Holy One the shelter of your life, sheltering in the most high, 
the most holy is the way in which we protect ourselves so that you will trump on him, not him on you. But you got you to gotta, you gotta do something. You got to find the dwelling place of God in your life. The second thing is a very practical thing, and that is you got to pray. See, remember the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew chapter 26? Jesus is about to go to the hardest segment of his life. He is going to be spat on, stabbed, brutally tortured, and died as an innocent man. And what does he do? What's the one thing he does, the one thing he does before his greatest temptation? He prays. See, prayer is not something we do in the moment. Prayer is something we do before the moment, before you get into the situation, before you start your day, before it comes about. See, that's why... The Lord's Prayer says that we are to pray that we would not be led into temptation. We pray against it today. We pray now, God, protect me in this area of my life, in this area of my life, in this area of my life, because the adversary wants to mess me up, chew me up and spit me out and destroy my testimony before God. And I would not resist in faith, but I would become faithless. And after a little while, it says, I love this, it says, but resist and firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering were accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. And after you've suffered a little while, after you've suffered a little while. See, this phase is over. Okay, this season was over for me. August is almost over. But it doesn't mean there's not another one. It's like, oh, I'm finally better. It's all good now. I can get on with my stinking life. Just leave me alone. That's what I want to say, but I recognize that's not reality. Reality is staying humble because if I'm prideful, I say, God, why me? Why are you doing this to me? When the Lord's saying, after a little while, after a little suffering, the God of all grace who called you in eternal glory in Christ, he himself will perfect and confirm and strengthen and establish you. Those are words of character. I'm I'm a different person as a result of what I've gone through. I don't want to go back through it, but I know there's more to go. Round one. Let's go for round two, huh? What do you guys think? You ready for round two? You can do this. See, all throughout this passage, God is mighty. God cares for you. God's power will prevail. It's God's strength in you. Land on it. Believe it. And step forward. Focus on humility. Clothe yourself by identifying pride. Casting off anxiety by trusting him. And standing firm in your faith by dependence on him and prayer. Let's pray. Come on up, Godwin, team. Let's give this to the Lord, shall we? So, Father, this morning, we're just going to hand it over to you. I don't know where everybody's at, but I know I'm ready to do that. And I'm more humbled in this season of my life. I recognize that anxiety has not won over the day and the adversary. I'm tromping on him. He ain't tromping on me right now. And so I'm standing on that, Lord, and I want to remain there. 
And I want to focus on that because I know there's more ahead, but I know you are the one that if we dwell in the shelter of the Most High, we will do the treading. We stand on that this morning. Amen. So we're going to end with communion. And I don't even know where communion is. I'm sure it's out there somewhere. You're going to have to find it. But when you go to communion, as we lead in worship, I'm all disoriented. You're going to take a piece of bread and you're going to dip it in the juice. And you're going to remember this one thought. Jesus is the victor for you. He's the victor for you. What he did on the cross is so that we might live and survive well suffering. Let's do it.